Hello and welcome to the National Institute Board Gamer Review. I am DK. I am Lewis, and I am on a somewhat formulaic but ultimately enjoyable adventure. Aren't we all? Aren't we all? Uh, yes, and we are joined here today by a friend of the program, uh, Zoomer Imperator, or I think we'll just be calling. I know there's a million Zoomers. It's, it's, it's funny to watch the, uh, the Zoomers kind of come of age and become a, a, a thing un, unto themselves. It's, um, and I, I've known more than one um, Zoomer that's identified themselves as such in their online uh, handle. That they, yeah. yeah. But um, anyway, how's it going? How, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Uh, thank you for having me on. This has been something that's been in the works for a long time, and I'm glad yes, uh, we finally get to sit down range, and do it. Yeah. Yes, and I know you, because we, I, I believe we had mentioned Tintin before in connection with Leon DeGrel, which I had not um, been aware of at all, that, that there was any kind of, um, well, what amounts to essentially biographical inspiration for the character in the person of, of Leon DeGrel. And, of course, we'll, we'll get into some of that. But, um, yeah, you reached out. You wanted to do something about Tintin. And, and Tintin is one of those things that um, it's, it's uh, yeah, it's interesting in, in, in a couple different ways. Um, I imagine, I, uh, I guess you're probably more of a fan than I was. I was certainly a fan um, growing up as a young boy. I think there's something about um, the character and the, the setting and just the, it's also just a very interesting time. It captures this, um, but we'll get into all that too, I guess, with the, with the, uh, the 1930s as this kind of last flowering of um, uh, kind of, I don't know, a global facing European culture that was sure of itself prior to the conflagration in the forties. But um, yeah, so you, so um, let's, I guess, started, well, let, let's start, Let's start at your beginning. So when, when, how old were you, or the both of you? Because I know you are, you were both like me. I mean, I, I was what, maybe twelve years old, or so when I, when I discovered Tintin. How about y'all? Yeah. So uh, I was, uh, I, I was about. If you, if you want to go first, Lewis. No, 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 no. Mine's less interesting. Okay. So I was about, I think, six, and this this might make y'all feel old, but um, so Netflix was was first sizing on online streaming service. And uh, they had the cartoon, the 90s Canadian Ellipse Nelvena cartoon uh, of Tintin um, on there. And so, you know, my siblings and I, we, uh, we started watching it and it was it, something really, it was something really appealing. You know, just as someone who's always been interested in history and historical aesthetics, it was pretty cool. Um, and of course, you know, the adventures are, are always entertaining and also kind of the, the groundedness of how, I think, you know, Tintin's an imaginary hero, but in a real world. And uh, I think that definitely opens up a sense of wonder that um, appeals to the sensibilities of, of, you know, all young people, young boys especially, but I think especially uh, European sensibilities as well. So then from there, from, from the show, um, I got into the books. Uh, and, of course, you know, I was still a kid when the, the, Steel, the Spielberg movie came out. So, yeah, that's, that's kind of... That's how I got Which is surprisingly it. good, by the way. And and if you haven't seen it, um, I have never. I didn't actually even know there was. A, I may, you know, now that you mention it, I kind of have vague flashes of a, a cartoon. I'm not sure if I may. I may be hallucinating that. I don't know. But the um, the movie I had very low expectations for. I didn't watch it when it came out. I just expected it was trash, and um, it just captured the the spirit of what I remembered from the books quite well. Um, I think it does. I think it does. It was uh, it was always a favorite. 
uh, among my siblings and I. My sister, when she was little, she she had a big crush on him. So, <laughs> of course. Um, and what about uh, what about you, Lewis? Uh, my I was actually not really aware of. I am also a Zoomer. Um, not really aware of Tintin as a uh, thing, but I'm, I was aware of the genre. I I had a very francophile. You know, I, also just like you know French, Fr- a lot of French kids books in the house that were in- translated sure. English or like sure. French. Pre- I, I actually don't know if like Madeline is actually a French book or like French, but French presenting. Uh, I think it is. I think Madeline is French. Book, book, books for kids. And Tintin was there, but uh, didn't super grab me. And I, I've always, it was just kind of one of those things around. I never actually got super, I was probably a little too young when I first exposed to it. Um, and then I didn't get back around to reading it till it was like, till like, uh, this is very zoomer till I saw like the meme, like Tintin memes. And then I, <laughs> the captain on, you know, captain yeah. is Wednesday. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. so that's funny. No, I was, a, I was, a, I guess a similar kind of thing, but I, I mean, I definitely, I had, um, both Tintin and Asterix, uh, growing up and quite enjoyed, both of those, um, the comics and the, and the, um, Asterix had some cartoons that were pretty good. I didn't watch the, um, those are in French, but yeah, the, I think the, the, it's, it's a kind of, it's a certain kind of window. Cause when, when, um, when you initially proposed this, uh, Zoomer, I was on board, but I was also, it was a funny moment of reflection of like, yeah, I had read a bunch of these when I was 12 to 15. And then I just hadn't thought about it in, you know, yeah, like like multiple de- more than two decades, right? Uh, right, right. And it was something. It was it was something I originally reached out to Borzoi about back when he was still doing hyper podcastism because I knew he was a fan, and he was like, you know, yeah, I'm just I'm just doing way too much stuff, and I was like, oh, you know, it's, it's sure. Would it be something that DK and Lewis would be interested in? So, but yeah, I'm glad it uh, opened up. Yeah, opened well, up so I think, I think for for us and and, and certainly for me the. Um, hadn't read a Tintin comic in a long, long time. And so I was thinking like, yeah, okay, let me, and, and I asked for your top five and I, and I perused them and, and yeah, it was basically, as I remembered, there were some things about it that, that stuck out. Um, one of which was, uh, which, which Lewis kind of alluded to in the, um, in his stinger that, uh, that th- there's a certain kind of um, formulaic nature to the, like the, the, the overarching plots have, you know, some amount of uh, something to them. And there's a lot of you know frame by frame action and jokes and and different things going on, um, but a lot of it falls into a kind of uh, yeah cartoon. I mean, the, the thing is, I I, I think it's easy to forget. Not that um, uh, sorry, I gotta. I'll, I'll be right back. Uh, kids are fighting. I can talk about it. I can talk about it. Yeah. So every Tintin arc uh, goes kind of let's call it like the same. Well, whatever. I don't, I don't want to. This sounds too denigrating, but like it's not. But you know, he's he's on a boat to a place, right, or an airplane, but almost always a boat. Um, right, right. Something happens on the boat. He encounters a mysterious man, usually, or a mysterious artifact, or something suspect. Um, he gets arrested generally on the boat or right after getting off the boat. Uh, escapes and while escaping from the police, uncovers something about the mysterious man. Uh, has to flee more from the police and ends up encounter and like goes into the wild and whether it's a Congolese tribe or India or Arabs or native Americans from 
South Central or North America or Eskimos or whatever the fuck, or or Chinese. But like he encounters the the far peasantry, and right. they help him out, and he fights with like bandits or whatever, um, while being pursued by enterprising law enforcement people still who also are generally like kind of comedic foils and Tintin is mm-hmm. generally a little more suave. And then the cops that follow him are kind of stepping on rakes. Or in the case and, of Tintin's in America, you know, he's being pursued by the, the criminals themselves. Yes. Yes. He's, uh, there's usually a pursuer, uh, cop criminal or, uh, sometimes, sometimes it's like, uh, the, you know, whatever local law enforcement or local bad guy. Uh, and then, he kind of returns to civilization and there's generally some kind of final confrontation where Tintin acquires allies through either because he's Tintin and kind of a famous guy or they're just like the local, like he just finds the local British, like Brit Bong guys, uh, or the British government, whatever government there is like colonial government and Tintin and his allies, uh, confront the bad guys and generally arrest them with uh, relatively few casualties, but a lot of gunfire. And, uh, right. right. <laughs> yes. And that's kind of like how every Tintin story pretty much goes. Um, but they're also that, you know, they're also in the same way, like Tintin is, it's weird. We put on a date cause it doesn't predate like serials, like the, uh, you know, adventure serials that Indiana Jones is based off. In the kind of yeah, that's what form. I was gonna say. But is like, it is, but it does that same thing tropes. where, well, it's, well, no, but it's, it's, the, it's contemporaneous with them. Like, exactly, it's not yeah. that old, you know. Exactly, it, yeah. Tintin is arguably ripping off, or like he is not ripping off. He's applying the format of the adventure of the serial, yeah, to a uh, comic strip. Like, like I forget the one that was the inspiration for Indiana Jones. Um, there were a couple, and then and what was it uh, Buck Rogers in the whatever century and flash Gordon and shit like that was, was all the rage. And, and that very much had this kind of comic it was a comic book logic to it. And, and all, all those two, I mean, the earliest comic books and those serials and all that massive culture all kind of um, emerged at the same time and was riffing off the, off each other. And in, in a way, because it was all, it was always already based on certain kinds of tropes. Um, but it also originated this, the ways in which those tropes would would tend to play out for visual media, really down to the present day. Even things like video games or you know video game logic and abilities and design logic is all kind of predicated on um, those the, the, those um, that that flower that that uh, I don't know how you want to how you want to put it, but yeah, I, I would call it a certain kind of flowering of culture. It was you know considered in in, in large part vulgar at the time, and I'm not going to pretend that it's super high culture, but it, it it it's there and it's good. And it's, I think it's I was thinking about this. I think about this not infrequently too. Um, how uh, I think in some ways, um, okay. So Tintin is is Belgian, right? So it's European, so it's it's kind of different. But it it's it it's uh, I think another example of the similar phenomena that you see, especially in the United States. Um, where I, I think the American culture of the 1920s, more or less, you know, the Roaring Twenties, was the last time you had um, a real efflorescence of, of culture and architecture and 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 uh, anything really. Everything it's been one, one very long um, downhill plummet ever since. And and we uh, people talk about there's nothing good made anymore. And okay, there was some 
occasionally interesting pop culture in the 70s and 80s but um even that i think you know the the in large part is responding to this um this period and and it's it's so like right. e- even things like the uh, you mentioned the colonial offices colonial government um the the um i don't think the uh, the problem with uh so there's this famous i guess it was the second tintin um second tintin that was ever compiled the 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 as a book the congo. Tintin in, the Cong- in the congo right which is the uh the, the one that's kind of quasi banned like when you when you I, I i bought actually before you even brought up this uh episode i knew i wanted to, you know i have i have two boys so i was like okay well i want to do you know we can do um some stuff and and have fun with things that i enjoyed as a as a boy and let's do tintin so i i ordered all of the um of the, the like a whole set of the tintins and <laughs> and uh, I was like, wait, where's the one where he goes to Africa? Right. It's like it's not in the it's not in the um, in the compilation. You have to buy it separately. It's a collector's edition, and it's you know blah blah blah. I I, I think the, the okay. So there are certain things about the representations of, of Congolese in that particular volume that are kind of silly, and and they are playing to certain kinds of ethnic stereotypes. But I think it's not even so much that they're they're playing to this ethnic stereotype at, at like in a bad way so much as that they're playing to it at all in like and, a paternalistic I, sort of way in that like, particular like volume in, but even in the yeah please go on like uh it, it's what, what's funny actually is uh historically in africa uh they it's actually their favorite one like in in francophone africa the what their tintin is the tintin in the congo like that's that's the one that they think of and it's something that's kind of a cultural touchstone um, in a lot of those countries and, and Westerners, you know, who write about it are, are, have been surprised to, uh, been surprised to find that out. But well, yeah, it makes more sense if you think about it for like, if you don't just like reflexively do the shit live, like, well, it's a, it looks like blackface, bone and nose, bad people who live in like, you know, are, are French speaking Africans, uh, you know, generally they live in like cities or, you know, some like developed areas they don't view themselves as those like bone and nose ear chuckers, right? They view yeah. the crazy yeah. bone and nose ear chuckers outside the, you know, in the bush. Like they don't see that as offensive to them because it's not better to them. Yeah. Even if you yeah. think it as, yeah. as like, yeah, we know you're not talking about us. Yeah, yeah. It's like, you know, when, it's like when, uh, like as your analog, when like shit comedians do a show in like Birmingham, Alabama, and they do like have a rednecks. Their shit live audience is still like no sign of them, right? You know, it's the same kind of thing. Like people don't, people aren't. I mean, it's kind of gets like Ben Shapiro stuff. People aren't looking to be offended. You know, people are looking to. Like, I think that, that's well, and it's, but even yeah, like in point. terms of the um the I think even in terms of the um uh, the places that aren't Africa is kind of where I was going with this. Is is uh you know when he like when he's in when he when he's in Arabia or he's in India. And everybody is doing the um, snake, snake charge. It was constant snake Yeah, charge. exactly. It, it's like Indians like that too. I mean, you know, everybody. It, I think there's almost a sense, uh, even from that kind of a perspective of, of nostalgia. I mean, I could, having traveled, you know, abroad quite extensively, I can I can say like there's a yes. It's not just that people aren't offended. It's it's that there's um, a sense of pride in the kind of cultural. Um, like just, how they're the represented, like elsewhere. Yeah, like the just the distinctiveness that people understand. Like this is what a a North Indian, you know, 
Maharaja looks like, you know, mm -hmm. and, and it has lots of gold on, on elephants and a big, you know, kind of vaguely Muslim looking uh, a ca castle or whatever. Like this is, this is, uh, this is a source of pride and, 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 and great, you know, yeah, just cultural pride. And, and, and it's the, you see the, um, the distinctiveness of each culture, each region, um, geographically, but also anthropologically, that the Tintin ventures to, and uh, I, I would, yeah, ultimately connect this back to the. Um, I didn't realize this until I started doing prep for this episode. I knew, of course, we, we mentioned the, the Leon de Grel connection and how, uh, you know, the um, the great Leon de Grel. Uh, but what was his rank uh, specifically, Lewis? Uh, uh, I don't speak German, man. Uh, <laughs> he was an SS officer, something. No, yeah, well, yeah like the problem is he did like he like played he played World War II like a video game character where he enlists as a private and like hit every rank <laughs> on the way up to general. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I believe anyway, the he... Pill book credits him as. Oh, so there was there's yeah yeah uh, like I don't know. Uh, it the shoot Stoffel is the SS. Yeah. No, it's but it's like. Stop shop here. Is that the rank or it, rank you're talking it about? It don't matter. I, I mean, the point is, he was like, yeah. yeah. As it, also, there's more weirdness. I just buy from your autism that the German veterans associations or like the the, the self identified, you know, whatever you want to call them, they they don't consider promotions after a certain date in the war <laughs> because things became too chaotic. Yeah, of course. And of like. Course. Okay, then hmm. your act, your major, whatever, is now an acting general because he's like literally cut off from Berlin, can't talk to anyone. Yeah, but he's not actually a general, like right. You he's can't. just acting general in this pocket, of yeah, whatever. And I think Degrell was one of those guys. Also, they were like kicking out honorary promotions all over the place for like you know at the very end. So you know you well if you're hold the line here, you're a general. You know, like you know that kind of stuff. Yeah, and I think Degrell got one of those. So I think he did end up being like kind of a I, this is, I mean yeah he he was kind of a, the equivalent of a colonel and then yes, um yeah he did end up becoming acting general in charge of uh you know his his battle group or whatever in uh, yeah. the I believe in Belgium he was, generally he's referred to as a colonel and I don't think he he would not claim to be like an SS general I don't right think. right I he, right I think he when he wore his uniforms to troll the uh entire world at like Spanish uh, you know, royal, royal events and stuff. <laughs> I believe he wore a colonel's uniform. I don't think he was wearing. Okay, one. that makes sense. But, um, well, and yeah, bringing that back to uh, bring kind of bringing back Degrell and also kind of the serialized aspect uh, of Tintin that you were talking about earlier. Uh, so the the way that Hergé, the author Georges Remy, his uh. His name, his name, his pen name was was his his initials like backwards, so like R J R J. So, the the way he was introduced to to, uh, to the comics, um, you know, with with uh, in the way that we see them, in the way that they were in America back then, was through Leon de Grell, who was a, a foreign correspondent for uh, the same Catholic newspaper that he worked for. Yeah, uh, so that he was, was covering I, I, the yeah. the Cristero yeah. War in Mexico, and he was traveling in the United States, and so he would send. Uh, Remy, the uh, newspapers and comics from American newspapers and from local newspapers, and so that was was uh, the main way that he was exposed to that style of storytelling, and what uh, largely inspired him to uh, to create the Tintin character. It's also much cleaner than American cartoons of the era. 
it's I, I draws a lot from like Donald Duck and like the Disney stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you watch stuff that's not look at comics that, that aren't Disney, it's almost unreadable. Uh, like everything is labeled, uh, and there's always a lot of wordplay. And I don't think Air J would obviously. I mean, I'm sure he spoke some level English, uh, but he would probably like not appreciate like I guess we call it the the average time back then was not. It, it was pretty rough. Like, yeah, yeah, not as confident. I think, but like and the, stuff, the stuff he did before was was uh, was, was kind of like you know pictures with like you know labels and with, with with like text below the picture and things like that. Like the 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 style of speech bubbles and uh, and cartoons as we know them. You know, that was very very new for that time. Yeah, uh, but it's a, it's a lot much. It's a lot cleaner. It's very. I would say it's very specifically. He's doing like the the Disney the Disney cartoon style because. The average cartoon, usually the average American cartoon, uh, they they're not they're not they're really not good. Uh, it's hard yeah. to explain. Like, it's it's like walls of text for the first three boxes, and then like images that are also covered in text, and then it all leads up to like a really really I guess it was hilarious back then. Like some joke about some like, like wordplay or pun, and you just read it and you like what the fuck is this? Like, I, you know, right. it's, it is truly inaccessible. And, uh, are you getting to, like things? I think where there was, there were, there was a weird thing to the early forms of mediums where the concern is not like telling it, making a good movie or telling a good story or writing a good book. It's about like providing value for money. And it's, you like, it's more, you commit more time to reading this book. Like JRPGs are kind of famously like, padded as a video game genre like there's a lot of padding at early stuff because you you want to get like i paid six dollars you know, yeah no it I was I mean, D- dickens was famously right? dickens was famously paid by the by the word and and uh and in, in general those kind of early a lot of um novels when we think of like the novel as a um as an art, literary art form nowadays and for the better part of a hundred years it's been bound and sold as a unit but historically it wasn't just dickens like dickens was getting paid by the word because it was a it was serialized in a physical newspaper type magazine publication some of those were like you know the people are probably familiar americans with you know the atlantic is is uh, or harper's weekly these kinds of periodicals um in the, the new yorker sense. the new yorker exactly um but it wasn't just that; it was it was also literally the the way that okay newspapers. Also, there was there was a part of time where everyone who read the New Yorker didn't deserve to beat a death. If yeah, very much so. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, you for people, not like just not people, not not people with not things with faces, as it as I said. Yes, uh, um, and uh, yes, and and newspapers would make it's the, the the big like this is something of a tangent, but but related to this kind of general picture. Um, because they were talking about on, on tedious the other day and, and it's been a, a kind of con- common theme of why is the internet dying or what is the problem with the internet? Well, fundamentally there's a problem of revenue. Like how do you monetize um, content? Because the thing is every, everything. And I remember I was, I was very cognizant of this as it was happening in, in the nineties into the early two thousands where the, um, the constant fights over newspapers, everybody under everybody, there was a sense of, newspapers should be free um and and it was really really hard still is basically impossible for newspapers in particular to make money 
the, the reason isn't so much that people don't pay for subscriptions because newspaper subscriptions have only ever been a tiny minority, like 10, 20% typically of their income. Newspapers don't make money from subscriptions. Newspapers make money from um, advertisement and not like full page ads for Sears, whatever, although they, they used to do that too. Um, no, newspapers were Craigslist. Newspapers, it was the classifieds um, were the big moneymaker for for newspapers in particular and this is a service that like is you know especially nowadays in the days of of, of um you know two-day free shipping which is another kind of funny thing with tintin you know the the sense of physicality of travel of you know airplanes are there but they're kind of rickety it's kind of hard to get in one with you know more than one engine and yes you know until, until the, the 70s and the 80s and uh the later ones yeah exactly right. yeah um, and, and so this, um, the, the, the massive compression in, in time and space and the ability to just, yeah, you know, it's not like if you, you know, classified could be, it doesn't just necessarily have to be something you want to buy or sell, but, um, but yeah, that's the kind of thing that it's a service that's no longer needed fundamentally. And, and so newspapers and, and the internet more broadly have been stuck in how do we, replicate that and i don't i don't know that you can but but yeah it's it's certainly interesting that the um this this the profit motive ultimately of these publications is to is to move units right and you want to move lots of units over time to lots of different people which me which is a which is creates incentives for authors who are who are um producing you know serial serialized uh content for these publications to stretch them out and to kind of go double back on itself and to have kind of, you know, things that may make sense on it. There, there was a number, I, you know, when I was reading it in this, um, with that, eye, I was, there were several points kind of obvious, you know, cliffhanger endings like Tintin is, um, you know, by in, in one frame, the end of the page, he's by himself looking toward, in a, in a, in a, in a little, you know, in a coffin, a literal floating coffin about to be overtaken by a 20 foot wave. Uh, and then in the next frame, he wakes up in, in on somebody's boat, like nothing ever happened. And it's just, you know, the next episode of the thing or whatever. Um, yeah, yeah. And that was, you know, the, the serialization was, of course, you know, the result of of uh, Tintin being in a uh, format of like a weekly strip um, for uh, for like the, the children's supplemental of the newspaper he was working for. And he, he, I, he did, uh, I've read something where he talked about that, where he talked about how it was kind of just a series of, of uh, suspenseful gags, uh, you know, with one uh, one event leading into the next to kind of carry along the action and carry along the plot, and um, and that didn't and it didn't really come, become solidified with with uh, more coherent and longer plots until he said until the Blue Lotus he said, uh, and then then later on you know the when when Tintin became a proper magazine and things like that you'd have the the you'd have it split into like you know you get a weekly issue of the magazine there's a page of the newest tintin book or something rather than a few panels a week yeah yeah uh i, I love the, the blue lotus was in particular one of my favorites that i remember um from from when i was i wouldn't exactly yeah a kid, whatever a young man um but um yeah the um it was it um Yes, I, I think it's it's it, the thing is that that was what struck one of the things that struck me about the the Tintin film, which again I do definitely recommend. Um, was watching it, I, I had a vague sense of like I remember I, just feeling like the stories were a little bit more 
uh, coherent than that and didn't just totally kind of go from one sequence to another. But no, the early Tintin, the earliest, um, you know, compilations of these serialized um, uh, comic book strip, comic strips are, are very much like that. And, and it's whatever it's, you know, it's, it's a, it, it, it's not that it doesn't work. It's more just, um, I, I think you mind less maybe if you're, yeah, like a nine, 10, 11, 12 year old boy. Um, just, there's this young boyish, uh, he, he, well, let's, okay. Let's talk about the character of Tintin. Cause I think he's def part of the success of the, uh, product of the, of, you know, of the, of the franchise or whatever you want to call it is, um, the ability of, essentially young white boys to see themselves reflected in his rosy cheeks. No. Yeah, I would say so. Um, and it, yeah, it, it is kind of a, a thing of his, his, yeah, it's kind of eternal youth. I mean, the comic starts in 1929 with land of the Soviets and he's, uh, you know, he's supposed to be what, 15, 16 or something. Uh, and then the last, the last book is uh, Tintin the Picaro is 1982. He, looks basically the same i mean obviously the, the difference the aesthetic difference between land of the soviets and, and the very last one is is uh is pretty stark but he looks pretty much the same throughout the mo throughout uh the vast majority of of the series and so that's it is kind of like each one is like they all they're all they all bleed into each other there's all uh you know plot like you hear you see other you see books reference so I, each other and stuff, but he's still, you know, he's still the same age. <laughs> what Tintin is, because this, I actually say this a lot, actually, uh, because what he's supposed to be is like he is not like uh, a character, a self-insert of the. Assuming the reader is a, um, you know, you know, say eight to twelve-year-old, right, or eight to thirteen-year-old. He's not supposed to be the reader. He's supposed to be the reader when he's older, right? Like, yeah, when he's twenty-five. When you're thirteen, this is me when I'm twenty-six. Yes, and he because of that, he yeah, represents right, like exactly. a certain kind of uh, not wealthy, but like what a educated European man. Well, not so educated, but not necessarily wealthy. Just like went to college, and that's why he's comfortable with uh, like what starts it used to be kind of the expectation that like if you had been to college, you were and this was a universalist with literacy, like you were a reserve officer in your military, you know, like of your nation. You were had some kind of athletic ability, you know, you were you were kind of a jack of all trades. You could probably speak a few languages, maybe some classics, you know, or for usually for sure some classics. Um and so he's he's kind of like an aspirational he he's not he's specifically not wealthy. Like if he was rich he'd be like a sportsman or whatever. Yeah, well, like you know, like, like Captain Haddock is, and you know, the, the country gentleman Marlin Spike in the later books. Yeah, he has the bills, right? Um, so he's not. Uh... I mean, yeah, he lives in a flat. You know, he's he he travels a lot. You know, most of his expenses probably go to that sort of thing. Like he's, you know, he's a he's a professional. Enough money, um, but he for for whatever it is that he needs, but he 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 also has to be careful about it, <laughs> which like a, a true aristocrat would never be, even if they were, you know, broken and dead or whatever, like they, you know, the, 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 they would never, ever, ever do anything. So, uh, crass as to be appearing to, you know, need money, um, for anything. Right. Whereas he, he like actually does need to, um, 
yeah, it's an interesting, and and the I don't know so much about the, he he feels he he's comfortable wherever. That's the other thing is he's mm-hmm. part of this is the colonial thing, the unapologetic like yes, of course you, you know Europe rules the world in some sense, and wherever you know we can go to China, India, Africa, wherever, and it doesn't you know we we are you know we can uh, we we will be polite and we will follow you know the local customs and of course the international norms is you know whoever the colonial master is you know france here and england there and whatever um you know they are the ones who have the, the white the white goons that'll come after you if you really fuck up um mm. but um you know the brown goons or whatever and they're they're in the local dress and we'll be in the local dress but but there's never a sense of um of foreignness in, in, in a way it's it's always there's a there's a sense well, of, of uh, exoticism yeah. but uh yeah but not but not foreignness like he's well I'm do, it's also i'm doing tourism but i have a handgun as well <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like part of, right. it's part of the tourist's uniform which until, is my right as relatively a white recently man in a white man's in a colony run by white men like yes of course a white man you know can walk around with a pistol and in uh wherever in our in 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 you know, the, like yeah you know, he's you running know. around the congo you know shooting shooting antelopes blowing up rhinos uh all kinds of stuff well congo is a is, a, is owned by belgium and he's belgian so why wouldn't he mm. and and rj definitely you know moved away from the the colonial ethic later on i mean he when you know he focused focus i guess more of uh the themes of of um you know, kind of international brotherhood or wherever or whatever. You know, he he regretted uh, in many ways. You know, uh, the the paternalistic aspect of Tintin in the Congo, but the the same ethos is still there uh, throughout all the books, regardless. Well, it was the ethos of the time. I mean, that's I think the. Um... I, I don't feel I expressed myself super well, and I don't know. Maybe it's just not well formed enough or not correct enough to to really get out. But but there was. Um... Something about this this mo- at, least, at least to me, I guess that that and maybe it's just a personal attachment. Then I don't know, but this uh, there was a there was a moment from yeah like 1922 to 1938 um, where th- like all of the you know th- these uh, we're still living in the shadow of the. Even just, I think the 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 clothes and the dress. You can see I mean, you, you if you look. I'm looking now at you know the Wikipedia page, and you see the um, people used to dress nice. I guess they 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 dressed to some extent in you know through the 50s and 60s, but but the uh, just every every aspect of this culture. Um, I, yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm not I'm like not took itself it. seriously. You know, was was more. Um, you know, yeah. it was prouder of itself. I guess. Yes, for sure, and and recognize itself as being a culture, recognize yes, itself right. as, as yeah, uh, and which, which we just you know the the nowadays, <laughs> it's uh, of course there is in in a certain perverse sense uh, something you could call quote unquote American culture, but it's you know le- lesbian uh, football players and and various hor- assorted you know horrors. It's it's not. Like, you know, yeah, the combination of like, deconstruction of everything and the reduction of everything to to products and units and and consumerism. And what is it? I guess and, that's you know, what I'm can, getting at. Is what? Yeah, what is it that they're deconstructing? Is this right? Is is the, more than any other single thing? This was the, that this this cultural moment for um for the for the Western world is right. is like the eternal object of deconstruction and that the the yeah the, the culture distortion. Um, of the culture distorters this this is the culture that they're most interested in distorting exactly um, exactly 
Lewis, did you have? I wasn't sure. Uh, do you have any other thoughts, or was there, uh, I feel we didn't get to? Do you want to say more about Tintin the character? Um, let's do. Uh, I kind of wanted. To, so there's about that he's like you know that he's 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 more swashbuckling because the average European man was expected to be more swashbuckling at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's also a he. What he's okay? So he's not. He is also like a boy hero, like having a the, the pet dog, right? Like these are, these are, you know, generally uh, you come of age as and you kind of don't, you know, you don't have the pet dog with you when you leave home, right? You know, you can leave the dog at home. Um, you know, that's so. That's that's you know, there's, he's he's constantly doing youth elements. Um, he's. Never has a GF, which is kind of interesting. Well, yeah, I was going to bring that up. Like, so that was like, he's also like not a uh, a romantic, which is mm-hmm. oh, Tintin's gay or whatever dumb thing you would say. But it's actually no. that like when you're yeah, it's a, for, when it's you're for, a, he's too busy when for hoes. When you're a yeah, when like, you're eleven year old boy, you're thinking about you your adventure. You're, story, not thinking, yeah. you're not thinking about like you know that's not a part of the story like, at all. You know, yeah. Um, no. Which does actually talk about like how there's a formula. It really, really narrows like Tintin's adventures more because in the adventure kind of genre, like serial genre that uh, that he's in, like femme fatales are like you know that's a good third of all your plots, and they just yeah. can't <laughs> and, really and, yeah, do. The, the closest thing you've got to that in Tintin is you know Castafiore. So oh, who is uh, oh the uh, who is the opera singer who, who's in love with Captain Haddock? Oh, right, right, right. Yeah. Yeah, and that's and she's like older, right? Yeah, yeah. She's... And there and and there have been there have been bootleg Tintin comics over the years. I mean, there's there's a whole. It was kind of a a, a strange kind of underground industry of like bootleg Tintin comics where he's like you know having sex and stuff. There's like one where he goes to Thailand, like does all this crazy stuff, and <laughs> and, and, like, and that was of course very, Tintin very in the land heavily, of the ladyboys. Yeah, yeah, like very heavily looked down upon, you know, and rightfully so by like by Tintin purists, by anyone respectable. Um, you know, because that's that's not who he is. That's not part of the character. It's not what Hergé wanted in mind at all. I mean, it's like he yeah, he has a specific thing. He, he sets out to do a specific ethic. He sets out to embody, and uh, and you know, women don't really fit into that. That's the other thing. I mean, I I um, it's funny because I I found myself talking about like Faustianism and stuff, and I'm not like that. That shit sounds cringe and and dumb, and I'm not I'm not a Spenglerian really. Mm-hmm. At the same time, I do. I mean, the thing is, uh, I very much. Sorry, one one minute. Oh my god! You, you're gonna bring in Faust and Spangler and walk off. Who who does that? <laughs> I'm trying to yeah. I'm trying to podcast here, guy. Ah, uh, all right. Wow, Faust what? Spangler. Where, where is he going with this? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I I can. I'm kind of. Forward. <laughs> yeah, I can kind of understand. Uh, I guess you know what he's what he's getting at. I mean, it all comes down to, um, yeah. I mean, it all comes down to a a distinctly European ethos that is embodied. That whether whether I think it, I think in large part it was unconscious. You know, whether RJ realized it or not. I mean, that was just sorry kind about of, that, guys. I was I was kind uh, of what all yeah. stories embodied back then. Yeah. Well, also we would about just the inter. So uh, DK has to say in the interwar period was like. Europe was still confident and all this stuff. And yeah, there's some of that, but it's also just the best setting for anything in the 21st century. Like if you're going to set, yeah. that kind of <laughs> like, and that's why they, I don't think he's stuck in the interwar period if forever, 
because it was out of some like stable European grade. It's just, it's just that's when all the interesting stuff happened. Mm. Um, and also when, when he was writing. I mean, because because a lot of like there's the first couple well, he kept uh, are in He stayed in the interwar period. Like he wrote yeah. until the eighties, right? But well, nineteen thirty eight never never happened. Well, they did. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I mean, because you so like the first couple are written in the 20s and 30s and then land of the black gold uh was written during world war ii bell uh Hergé was um he was a reservist in the belgian army and that's when he was writing the bulk of land of the black gold and you can see the kind of like th- looming threat of war and stuff in it uh and then you know during the war he writes shooting star you know we, we, we got the jewish villain in there and then uh then after that all the other books are are in like you know kind of cold war era uh until until the 80s when Hergé passed away but, but yeah, I mean, set in the Cold War era, really. No, they are. Uh, like Calculus uh, Affair is is you know has a very like Cold War spy feel. You got the Borgerian standing in for the Soviets. Uh, Picaros is you know you got the the San Theodoros forces. You know it's kind of a Cuban revolution sort of thing. Uh, you got the you got the moon landing and in, in Destination Moon explorers on the moon. So he always embodied the time uh, in which he was set. I mean, you got to he was always really big on on putting the latest technology in, you know, putting all the, the cool details that people wanted to see. Um, and, and yeah, that, that was always a big part of it. Yeah. Maybe I'm just not deep enough into Tintin, but it seems like whenever he goes to India, I guess I, oh, I haven't read the more recent stuff because I just, I kind of read it without kind of any intention. Mm. But every time he goes to India, it seems like he's talking to some British guys in charge. Every time he Honestly, goes to... Even when, it, even when it's set in the quote-unquote... I understand what you're saying, and I I get what... Like, maybe in terms of the plot, some of the, the cultural touchstones. But yeah, at least certainly in, in my experience, it's, it's not just that it's in that interwar period. It's that that interwar period itself is in many ways a kind of reflection of, of the, the 19th century thing. Like mm. culturally, the depictions of India are, are, are drawing on touchstones more from the 1890s even than the, the 1920s or 30s. So, um, right. He, in, in Tintin in Tibet, I mean, that was written in what, at this, like late 70s, and he goes to India and he goes to Tibet and everything, and it's of course like post-independence and everything, but you still have that, that, uh, that sort of orientalist vibe and everything is still, I mean, I'm sure right. Tibet was still pretty primitive in the seventies, but you know, you still definitely have that same feel. Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. So it, it, it's, it's, as you say, almost more of a vibe than um, necessarily like particular plot touchstones mm. and, 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 and yeah, how, how the characters are represented and all this kind of stuff. I think that's, that's a lot. That's the thing. That's like the, I, I all am ultimately. If, I mean, I think the it's more accurate to say the world ended in 1918 than in 1945. Um, but the 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 world of yeah that inter the interwar period was it really in many ways an extension ultimately of the pre World War One civilization pre Great War. Should just go back to calling it the Great War because um, that you know that was really it, it, yes the kind of last hope was. A, extinguished for really not the last last hope but the um yeah 1945 drew drew it to a kind of final close in a way that 1918 ultimately didn't um mm. anyway yeah but it's it's always i guess that i'm just i'm just thinking through why why is this period so attractive why does it feel right when you see you know when you see uh, they've been doing um very similar kind of thing this uh the poirot you know, poirot the uh investigator who's all isn't he also Bel- he wasn't french french he was um, he, I, I think he was i think he was belgian yeah yeah so it's a funny kind of thing right 
of um but yeah these this uh agatha christie world of the interwar um exactly. period is is there's a reason why it's it, it's very popular but i i do think the 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 our cultural overlords consider it also very dangerous for mm-hmm. sort of obvious mm-hmm. reasons yeah well i mean in, in some ways i think it's something that can be used i mean because you because like indiana jones you, you have that same adventurous swashbuckling ethic um and and, well, and, and all that adventure like, you got, you know, punch, you, like his whole thing is he wants to punch Nazis, which is yeah, you know, and so that's, that's how that's they kind of get around that problem. Yeah, that's that's how it can be. You know that that sort of romance of the era uh, can be used of you know oh you know you got the you got the looming threat, you got the big bad guys, uh, those evil Nazis on the horizon. You know it, it adds almost to the to the danger of it in some way. So it can be co opted for sure. But I think the essential. Um, notion of of you know it's an era when there was still you know there was still a a serious European culture that uh, asserted itself and you know you still had that adventuring ethic then uh, you know as long as that exists that still presents somewhat of a danger. That's what yeah. I was going to say before, I, and I'm, I'm, I was going to try to edit, but I guess you guys kept talking, which is fine. So I'll just fuck it, whatever. People, yeah, <laughs> sure. people can people, you see, baby used to scream in the microphone. <laughs> I forgot it about happens. him. Uh, but yeah, um, anyway, uh, that's what I was going to say is I am, I am not a Faustian, um, ideologically, theologically, whatever. Um, but I was a, a, uh, nine to 15 year old boy who, you know, looked out, I looked out at rocket ships and, um, thought of, Yes, going out into the world in in this uh, in this very Faustian way, um, or you know, maybe maybe Odysseus is, or I guess you could say Odysseus is a is a Faustian archetype. Um, but yeah, this this sense of exploration, the sense of there's this whole big wide world out there, and I am going to go and explore it, and and um, and not just a world, but a you know, ultimately a universe, and 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 everything the totality you know the macrocosm um that faust the character was was so concerned with um, right and yeah, that was like, and that was part of the part of the appeal of the world because you know in, in those days you know especially in in the interwar era when he first started writing i mean there were still parts of the world that were relatively unexplored and uh and and Hergé continually went back to that i mean he went to you know, always was always Tintin was always at the furthest frontiers. I mean, in, in whether it was space, you know, in, in destination moon explorers right, on the moon, right. he he was talking about moon landing stuff, you know, in the in the mid fifties. Um, and then, of course, you know, Tibet, um, you know, the the, the far mountains of the, of the Himalayas, and uh, you know, you've got the the uh, in flight seven fourteen the the tropical islands and he ultimately gets to uh, you know aliens and stuff like that I mean he it's always it's always the final frontier he's always exploring something and that's that's the most important thing. Well, also I kind of wanted to relate it to because of the tech stuff in that so James Bond is kind of like eternally obviously James Bond you know, does kind of a similar thing right he's going to space doing stuff. okay I got it I got it so Tintin is. A thirteen-year-old projecting himself at twenty-six. James Bond is a fifty-two-year-old also projecting himself at twenty-six. <laughs> right. Oh my gosh. Yeah, that's that's good. But we're saying the same era where so James Bond actually isn't like a Cold War spy drama at all. It's interwar spy drama. It's like yeah, it's about 
Um, it's just set in the Cold War because, like, because Cold War spying was very lame. It was like, uh, wow, this Jew in the American government just gave the Bolsheviks documents. What a great fucking cool story, bro. No, like inter interwar spying was you know this cool maze of like dr- everyone's drunk and they're going to the truck, <laughs> yeah, right. you know. Oh, and, the, yeah, they still have the club. You know, you can some of these cool clubs like in. Um, Cambodia, there's a famous one. Like everybody, they, they, the the bars still exist where the you know the colonial officers and the and the State Department, you know, diplomats and the spies and the journalists would all get hammered together. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so you, it's like that's kind of the it, it's kind of in the same way that the American Wild West is like every story like No Country for Old Men is set in the modern era, but mm-hmm. it's actually that well, it's set in like. I think it's 86 or whatever. Um, but it's actually set in the Old West, right? Like, there's, like, tonally, uh, like, history really ended in 1945, you know, or in America's case, uh, 1917. I think, arguably, World War One kind of ended American, you know, like, kind of having a frontier or having just history yeah. be interesting so, yeah. at all, right? Right, like, right. Interesting times. And uh, I, I, that's kind of the... Tintin is just, like... You're just, it's just interesting time straight in my veins. You're kind of just, you know, intravenous, the drip, drip of like, oh, this is going to be fun. Like, you know, oh, he goes into, we're going to go, I'm going to go to Tunisia on vacation and get drafted in the Tunisian army and then desert under cover of night, you know, or whatever. Like, stuff that's just unheard of now. And, but like, was a legitimate concern if you were, uh, you know, traveling in when things are interesting, you know? Right, um, right. Exactly. Exactly. Was there? I'm trying to think of another angle. Um, if there was something that I was there, anything else you wanted to to bring? Or I, we didn't get. I wanted to talk a little bit about this because I, I I sort of alluded to it. Or we, we talked a little, and then we didn't um, didn't finish the the bit. So not not only the 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 newspaper itself, where mm-hmm. the um, comics were um, published by. Hergé was was a essentially a fascist paper. I didn't quite. Um, yeah, like, it was, in a, other it was words, hardline Catholic. I mean, it was uh, yeah, yeah, it was Rexist, Rexist supporting yeah. in a lot of ways. Sorry, yes, yeah, not fascist, not national socialist. Rexist. Yeah. Mm. Yes. Was it the same <laughs> yeah. paper uh, that DeGrell was later the editor of, or was that a different one? No, it wasn't. It was called uh, Le Vingtième. Cicle, uh, which was which means you know the 20th century in French, yeah, yeah. and um, so uh, yeah, so it was, it was a Catholic newspaper. I think it had relatively wide circulation, but um, and so Hergé wrote for. I think DeGrell did write for it for a bit, but Hergé was uh, you know he was a uh, he started out wanting to be a journalist, but ended up you know they saw his talent in illustrating, and he became kind of the the, the comic artist for it. And, and the guy, his direct supervisor, was a priest named Father Norbert Wallet. And uh, you know he was you know he he kept a picture of Mussolini in his office. You know, he was a very uh, fascist sympathizing guy too. So he was you know it was under his direction that uh, he he wrote like Land of the Soviets, you know, exposing the the veil of Bolshevism and things like that. Um, and and uh, and kept Erge going in that direction for the first few books. And then so DeGrell and and Erge, you know, of course, kept up correspondence and you know were friends before the war and. He did actually offer Hergé the position of being the official illustrator of the Rexus movement, and Hergé he, uh, he he drew a few posters 
uh, for them in the in the mid 30s actually. But he, uh, you know, he ultimately declined, and which you know, of course, was ended up being good for his uh, his future career. But you know, and, and people would would uh, scrutinize his former associations with the Grell, unfortunately, um, in the in the coming or in you know in the coming years. And it was, Sorry, yeah, uh, I, think, I think it's that's it's one thing that's not really reflected on, and then like in like why would people think of the inherent instability of democ or just like West like the current neoliberal order or democracy or whatever you want to call it, just like the inherent contradiction of the West and liberal democracy is that it gives some expression to like liberalism. If you're Republican mm-hmm. parties and bullshit, it gives some expression to a more socialistic, social, you know, communistic leaning thing. But like a whole one third of the political spectrum, because it really isn't like left right is not really quite how it works, right? There's like this, there's this third thing that was extremely popular. And yeah. I still am a fan of the Hearts of Iron Three completely... political. The Hearts of Iron Three political ideology meter has fascism, liberalism, and communism is forming a triangle. There is no left or right, or if there are, yes. it's like internal. It's on the within the like liberal end of the triangle but it's left and right within liberalism converge at ultra liberal right? you know what i mean yes. like, which like no lies detected so yes i'm yeah. a big fan of that conceptualization and i, and I think that that is a, a a weird scar in western europeans actually have it, have it the worst because you know they were generally occupied by the, by the germans uh which like meant people were kind of just openly doing that thing and then then all of a sudden they couldn't and you have to like to purge these impulses, but you're never, you can't ever do that. And it's going to become inherently, inherently unstable. And I think that's arguably why liberalism has run so far amok is because there's always this like creeping fascism thing behind them. Like when you see elites say like, Oh, we need more migrants to like punish, (laughs) punish like the the locals. And that's something you, you occasionally see. Like that's because they, they see themselves as, like running from an inevitable wave, you know, and mm. uh, in theory, without with if 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 there was just fascist parties allowed, you things liberalism would be much healthier, even if you if you like sincerely believed in it, you know. Um, that's kind of kind of drug far field from from Tintin. Um, no, yeah. I don't think it is. I don't think it is at all. Because the, the 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 interesting thing is okay. So like, what is it specifically like? So I, I was I was looking over this on, on it's on the Wikipedia page. I'd be curious to read some of the more original um, source material. So so according to Wikipedia, but whatever. Uh, Le Vingtième Siècle, the uh, publication where it first um, emerged, essentially it was it was supposed to be ideologically like it wasn't it was an ideal the, the the cartoon strip was an ideological project of an ideological publication that was shut down under German occupation. When, when Belgium was, was occupied by Germany during the war, but Hergé himself continued to, um, to produce this comic book, right? Under, yeah, under and that was... Plot, a different... Sorry, go on. Yeah, yeah, and that was when, uh, you know, during the 40s was when he wrote The Shooting Star, which is considered, you know, one of his, one of his most controversial works, because he... And, and, you know, he later claimed that's like, oh, you know, it, it wasn't really any sentiment behind it. You know, I was just working like everyone else was during that time. But, you know, you have the uh, you have the Jewish financier who's the villain uh, running the rival expedition to, to reclaim this meteorite that's crashed 
in the Arctic and all the people on the European expedition are from from either you know, Axis aligned or neutral countries. And in, in the original, originally, the, the rival expedition, uh, so it was headed, it, it was it was sponsored by a Jewish financier named Blumenstein. And, uh, and it was from, it was headed, you know, from the United States, like there's an American flag on the, on the, on the ship and everything. And then later they changed it. He changed it. And it was some made up country that was sponsoring it. And the financier, they didn't change the way he looked at all. They changed the name and his name is Bullwinkle. And after some sort of, and everybody named it after some sort of, uh, some sort of dessert or something that they have in Belgium. But it turns out that that was that was also a Jewish surname that some people in Belgium <laughs> had. So it didn't, he didn't really accomplish anything with that. But uh, uh, so you know, that's an interesting, that's a very interesting uh, story there, and uh, it's a cool book too. I'll have to, yeah, that one I don't know that I've read before, and I it's along with the giant mushrooms. Okay, I'll uh, yeah, I'll you'll probably see yeah. it. But um. But I mean, I, I guess the my, my the point, the reason why I, I, I emphasized, I think, Lewis, that it, it this it's much more related than you were giving it credit for, is, you know, okay, with that partial exception, which is um, arguably not even, I mean, it's the kind of thing where, like a Jewish financier up to no good, you know, <laughs> is 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 you know that's not something that Hergé invented in 1940, whatever, right? Yeah, like, it's pretty, pretty is, par for the course. It's, yeah, it's not. I'm just saying, like that in and of itself is already a well-established historical re reality-based literary trope so uh yeah but 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 the question is like what you know what makes that comic book uh let the, in a neutral sense let's call it propaganda like in what sense is is uh, okay you can say the soviets and he's critiquing maybe soviet uh the, the soviet system in certain ways but the, you know liberals would have had pretty much identical um for the most part kind of critiques right so mm -hmm. why what is it about Tintin that is fascist or whatever rexist yeah i mean i think in some ways you know, you have like so so Erge, he was he um was a bit was very you know heavily involved in scouting when he was a kid uh and and it was kind of the boy scout ethic that uh, largely informed his portrayal of Tintin, and it's it's that kind of kind of patriotic stand-up sort of um, you know sort of ethos that that informs Tintin, informs the you know the conversation around it, and you know I think in many ways is is yeah very is compatible with uh, you know the the ideology that the paper uh, espoused, and um, and with the general kind of kind of sense of the time. I have, a, I have a less big brain take. It's that Tintin is just like cool and normal. Yeah. <laughs> and fascism is cool and normal. Yeah. And, you know, that's and, probably a bigger, it's really a smarter take than mine, honestly. Yeah, no, but. that's kind of, I, I actually, that was kind of where, I, yeah, I didn't ask it with an answer in mind or anything. I'm, 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 I asked because I'm, I'm working through it myself, but that sounds like the right answer. Yeah, because like, also, I, I do like his, like, uh, it's just like a normal how a normal like Western European views like of the time and any time kind of viewed the world and he didn't continue to view the world and he just wasn't like it's just not mean spirited but it's like oh look at them the funniest thing about like his like the kind sure. of imperialism and paternalism is that he treats like the Soviet Union as if it's like India <laughs> <laughs> he Where, does like, he does it's like oh well oh look at these peasants you know it's like oh you go to the big city and then you leave and it's just, there's peasants <laughs> you know the, the peasants and the and the it's just like they're Eskimos something which is yeah you know, <laughs> he's like what are these what are these naughty Bolsheviks doing now like, come yeah. come come now 
But he, but he, but he, he does treat it in a very like uh, that's actually the most oldest school French view or French Belgian same thing. Like view of, of, of Russia is that oh it's actually not a, it's not Europe it's it's like this weird colony where this mm-hmm. European monarchy rules this kind of this frozen peasant horde and uh, he did he he didn't didn't update his priors at all like he, yeah. You know, with the Soviet Union bullshit, it's it, it's really yes. There's like Soviet stuff imagery there, and occasionally he'll do like, you know, they'll the, the, but there it's really no different than like him going to any kind of uh, the Third evil world backward sheik, shithole. Yeah, the yes. evil yes. Sh- yes. Uh, Arabian <laughs> sheiks land yeah. is like yeah, right. It's just like it's just the, yeah. instead of being a desert, it's snowy. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. So yeah, no, yeah, I, that's I, interesting. I, I haven't thought about it that yeah. way, but yeah, you do see that in Land of the Soviets for sure. Yeah. Uh, I also do want to point out to about like the his the yeah the the there's there's a lot of bullshit in these books like where it there's like a every serial we'll call them like little individual sub narrative um they can all resolve like I guess like two basic ways is like it's going to resolve or at least three what well, three ways you can just like the story can just advance right. But usually, like when there's a confrontation, there's either uh, realistic violence or like cartoon bullshit. Like you know, like he's uh, yes. yeah, and uh, yeah. I, I mean, how many times I, I really out, like, like the realistic like, violence or like just the, like, the constant not shying from like gunfire. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, like, we're the, going to take him with a gun completely. constantly. It, it, it's it's I think one of the weakest parts of the thing is yeah when they're you know because there's like there's a gun and there's a very sense there's a there's a sense that the gun is quite lethal and there's some kind of grounding in some kind of physical realism and then the next you know a couple panels down he jumps on someone's belly and uses that as a spring springboard <laughs> like as a trampoline yeah. to get over a wall and it's like okay i mean well that's part of the kind of part of the the childishness of it you know the yeah. the whimsy i guess you could say um, and you know, and no one yeah. really gets, no one really gets, I mean, he gets, I, I, I'm trying to remember, I think he gets shot like a couple times, but I mean, for all the gunfire he's in the missed. series, yes, he's often, yeah. he's often, he's very scared. It's the storm, the stormtrooper. Uh, yeah. yeah. Right. Well, right. There's that aspect of it, but there's also the, like, yes, there's whimsy, but like, it's still grounded. I, I, and well, no, it, it is a weird thing where it chooses to be grounded. This, uh, mm. like, the Wes Anderson is the same bullshit in his terrible films, which I hate and don't like at all. <laughs> um, but like, but the problem with that is that it does feel like when you're reading. I guess also because I'm too old to read this. I, I I went back and read Cigars of the Pharaoh for this episode, and I am like, I shouldn't be reading. I'm, I'm I've aged out of it. It's for generations. Yeah, whatever. that's that was my feeling as well. I but hadn't like, read it in forever, and I was like, oh, whatever. I get to like, oh, he's. They're doing like serious violence or like just resolving it through like plot means. I'm mm. like, okay, cool. And then I see like, oh, he's he's whipping a snake around his head into a snake lasso to jump over a gorge. Like, ah, we're doing cartoon. Like, <laughs> right, yeah. right. I mean, it's yeah, it's interesting. I mean, because you, you do see, yeah, you do see that sort of thing. And the last time, yeah, the last time I I looked at, you know, read the actual books, you know, however many months ago that was, you know, it's, you do see as you age, you know, you see yourself kind of aging out of the, the the gags and stuff. But then I think every time you read it, you also, you know, in my experience at least, and you know, and 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 um, and in other, you know, I guess dedicated fans, you know, people come back to it more. 
um, you, you do see new things. Uh, you know, you see little little pieces of the dialogue. You know, little um, uh, you know jokes that might go over kids' heads and things like that. Um, uh, you know, things things that are just that are silly that 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 is kind of in a different way. Yeah, um, so I appreciate it's, you know. it's better than the way that, like, say, Looney Tunes, the contemporary, which is Looney Tunes, does it, where Looney Tunes have like a hidden dick joke, whatever, which is not, I don't mm. know there's a problem with that. I think that you can do a hidden dick joke in a kid's thing. I actually don't think it's, like, Jewish subversion to do that. Yeah, I mean, because the kids, the kids not going to notice it. I mean, when they do and they, they get older, it's just it's silly, poetry, you know. You know? Yeah. Yeah, but, yeah. But Tintin does a different way, like, in that it just doesn't shy ever from adult stuff like mm-hmm. there's cigars and guns and whiskey constantly you know and <laughs> yeah and all of a sudden like they just like they, they'll talk about oh like oh i'm a narcotics suppression officer for the royal police in india like the like, just like there is like opium dens and into the stuff into a kid it's like oh you don't know what the fuck that is like you don't, you don't well I, yeah i mean it's like there's, i, I was like yeah, seven of, years old looking ever, at this i'm like yeah, yeah. that's that's interesting you know like oh, clearly a brothel or whatever you know like but it's just like whatever who cares and i think that's a that's a more advanced way to do it that because you're doing the same thing where you make like you, you're sliding a, a sex joke past a kid uh mm-hmm. you're doing the same thing where like oh someone older will get more out of this but it's it's a i think a, it, it's like when you're an adult and you go watch looney tunes and you catch one of those jokes like oh wow i didn't catch that it's whatever but when you go back and you know read something as a kid, you see like that just the world was more adult and you didn't notice it. It is mm-hmm. a more satisfying feeling than like just oh I get the joke, you know. Yeah, right. And it's it's interesting. I mean, it it that kind of shows kind of yeah the the real worldliness of it. You know, is is of course yeah like I said like I've said earlier was is one of the main draws. I mean, you know you get you got Blue Lotus, you get the backdrop of the Chinese invasion of Japan. You know you've got um. You've got uh, the moon ones and the um, and can the calculus affair kind of have a, a cold war backdrop, um, and then but then you've also got you know a lot of the a lot of the plot points. It's just they're fun because they're because they're creative and interesting. Like you know you got you got crystal seven crystal balls and prisoners of the sun where you got like a secret cult of Incas hiding out in the in the Andes mountains that are like you know secretly drugging and possessing. Uh, European scientists with the spirit of a of a of a dead Inca mummy, and you've got Flight Seven Fourteen with, uh, you know, this guy, some evil millionaire, taking over an island, and turns out there's like a secret alien temple in the volcano and stuff like that. And it's just, you know, it's fun. Like no matter what age you are, it's fun. It's it's cool. Well, I um, yeah, I, I think that's probably enough. I don't know. How, I think I'm thinking of anything. Also, want to um, get out? Uh, do we have any closing thoughts? Uh, yeah, if don't let don't let your kid use cell phone so he can read Tintin. If you burn yeah. out, if you burn your child's, you know, media engagement, you know, brain, then he can't. He will not be able to read Tintin. It is. It is not. It is accessible, but it is not like. It is not as easy as. The, you know, the tablet so be aware of that right like right, you can right. give him this gift of Calvin and Hobbes and Tintin and all this stuff if you don't burn his infant brain with the tablet so 
Yeah, that's that's an important stuff. takeaway. I think. Yeah. Yeah, I think that, and, and it also functions. I mean, the, the it, it's a recommendation, also, right? Like, definitely, this is um, appropriate in all sorts of ways, and and I, I think it's really great. Um, obviously, buy as many copies of the Tintin in the Congo as you. you know, it seems kind of on the chopping block as far your, your as your um, child needs to read Tintin when he's ten, so he can read Berserk when he's seventeen. You know. Sure. Yeah. I mean, or you know, in my case. You know, yeah, in my case, you know, I read Red Tintin when I was when I was uh, six and seven, so I could read uh, King Solomon's Mines by H. Ryder Haggard when I was, you know, twelve, thirteen. Yeah. So, but yeah, that's cool. that's a good All takeaway, right. definitely. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for suggesting this topic. Thank you so much for coming on. Um, do you have any other absolutely know, uh, things you want to do? Yeah, it'd be, it'd be great to to talk more in the future. All right. Um, till then, take care, everybody.